the, the idea of love came up this week. And what popped, put it into my head was on Wednesday, I was at a board and staff retreat. I'm on the board of this nonprofit. And we have a board and staff retreat every January. And when we were all together on Wednesday afternoon, we, the question was, what brings you to this work? And it's, uh, it's a, uh, called Clergy and Lady United for Economic Justice. And it's, uh, do a lot of organizing and activism and organizing with, with labor unions to support labor unions and people working for, you know, economic justice. And then we also have a, a lot of, we do a lot of work with immigration. Mm -hmm. We go out to Adelanto, we, you know, we do a lot of work. So, and the, it's called Clergy and Lady because it's, it's about 25 years old, the organization. It was founded to bring um, clergy in to stand with workers, primarily it was economic. It gives a sense of gravitas when you, know, you have uh, faith leaders involved. And one of the founders of this organization was, uh, is the Reverend Jim Lawson, who worked with Martin Luther King back in the 60s, and he worked with the people who sat in Nashville at the first sit, first sit down and teaching them nonviolence. And so um, we have a long, long history, uh, lineage. And so the question was, what brings you to this practice? What brings you to this work? What supports you in this work? And we have rabbis and ministers and Buddhist, singular, <laughs> Muslims and so on on the board and, and involved in the organization. And what I came up with was this idea, or what, 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 what brought me to the work was really the, these, well, besides my background, but what supports me in this work is actually the teachings of the Buddha. The teachings of the first precept of not intentionally taking a life, not causing harm, but also what um, being kind and ending suffering, being kind to all beings, and when you see suffering, work to end it. So that's a that's a, a foundation that I have gotten from doing this practice. And the more comfortable I feel in these teachings, and the more grounded I am in in the precepts as a way of life, the more solid and and I am in taking the work out there. I have this, this solid foundation beneath me that says, no, actually, we have to treat each other. And it's a very liberating place to be, for me, um, to come from this place of kindness and compassion for all beings. So there's that element of love in there. And a lot of other people from different faiths said the same thing. And there's a lot of universals in, you know, love your neighbor as yourself, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Really a commonality of the, um, the imperative that we have to treat others with kindness and love. And so that's where love came in. I'm sure there's a bunch of love in this room too um, because of the, the rumor in word saying love. Uh, and so, that that kind of put the idea of love into my mind, and then I got I was looking at my inbox this week, and I get emails from Rickanson. Um, I'm on not personally, but 
from his email list. And his he he had one this week said lived by love. You know, just a, be experience what love feels in your body, like in your body when you were talking about the somatics. It's like be lived by love. It's like let the body breathe. It's this embodiment of the experience of it. And then, because this is papancha, this is how the mind, one thing leads to the next thing, leads to the next thing. And that reminded me of uh, a Dharma talk Larry Yang gave a few years ago, a couple of years ago at Spirit Rock, but I somehow listened to it a couple of years ago. And the title of the Dharma talk is What's Love Got to Do With It? <laughs> so I went... Oh, okay. Which I think was Tina Turner wasn't actually like excited about love. She goes, it's a secondhand emotion or something like that. But I actually listened again to the talk by Larry, who I love. I think he's such a beautiful teacher. He's, he, if you don't know Larry Yang, he's, he's at Spirit Rock for many years and he co-founded Insight Community of the Desert out in Palm Springs. And he's, he's a beautiful teacher. He's a beautiful way of expressing himself. And so it, it, I really liked that. And so I wanted to talk about love and the Buddhist idea of love and loving kindness and compassion and open-heartedness and how important it is and how it is part of our practice. Um, I always say with the instructions in meditation to be kind to yourself. You know, that's the Buddha talked about loving kindness, the metta, you know, the metta sutta is, is what is to be done by all beings, not just a couple of people, but everyone. And and it can be really difficult. It can be really difficult because there is so much suffering in the world, because it can seem so overwhelming. There is... Um, you know, and it almost seems like it's growing. You know, it almost seems like exponentially this 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 greed and this this hatred is getting is is expanding by leaps and bounds. I don't know if it is. It I don't actually think so. It just is in your face. You know, like 150 years ago, you you'd read about because I saw you know they had um, clippings of the Civil War, and it's like three days ago there was a battle. You know, it just like took three days for stuff to happen. So you didn't know. And sometimes you could live in your little village and not know anything about what's happening outside your village. And there are much more, there are more people and organizations working for human rights today. It's just that with social media and, and um, you know, all the telecommunications things we have, it's in our face, so it can seem overwhelming. And, you know, there was a, an example of this. I'd like to do a little blog on my website, which I haven't done in a while, but I was going to write one a few months ago, and it was when the president said whatever he said to the president of Turkey, basically saying, I don't care what you do. And so the president of Turkey said, hey, I'm going to go in and kill the Kurds because we don't like Kurds. And, and go into Syria. And um, so he started attacking Syria and going after the Kurds because because um, the Turks are not fond of the Kurds. And when I was excavating in Syria, we were in the Kurdish section. So uh, all these places that you're talking about on the news, I was there, I know, this, I know those people, I know those places. And so when you have a familiarity with something, it triggers it a lot more. 
when there's, you know, there's the broad swath of violence going on, but when it's not so personal. And what I realized is I didn't write that blog then. And it was like, oh, next week, something else, next week, something else, next week, something else. And it's like, but the stuff is still going on. The stuff is still going on and all this stuff. It's like, there's still these kids in cages. You know, people are still being deported, like our friend Stu, you know. And um, so it can be easy to be overwhelmed. And we have to recognize that we don't live in an enlightened world. We don't live in an enlightened world. We live in a world um, uh, run by greed, hatred, and delusion. When I, was, I saw somebody the other day at this, um, this, this meeting, this retreat I was at, the the board retreat on his um, on his water bottle. He had a thermos and he had a bumper sticker that said, I think it said something like billionaires should not be, should be illegal or should not be allowed. It's like, does anybody actually need a billion dollars? Oh, and, and then you have a billion dollars and you have people who can't stop. They need more, they need more, they need more. So they're driven by greed. It's that there doesn't seem to be enough, which is what the Buddha talked about. There's, oh, you always need more. I got one billion. Well, two, one is good. Two must be better. Three, yes. And I need to leave something for my children, so I need to get even more billions. It's like, oh. So there's this greed, and um, uh, we have our own experiences that are personal. We have our own loss. We have our own conditioning, our own personal conditioning, the intergenerational conditioning, the culture we grew up in, the families we grew up in, what's going on. So we, we can be um, knocked over by this stuff and lose, lose sight of these, these teachings around love and kindness. And if we do have a spiritual practice, if we do move into some... Um, place and a lot of us come to spiritual practice because we look for some ease, some some way to mitigate the discomfort we experience. Oftentimes, we take that spiritual experience and we use it as another way to disengage from our feelings through a spiritual bypass. And I actually looked up the term spiritual bypass, the actual definition of it, which is really cool. And that is one of my 8,000 papers here. Spiritual bypass is a tendency to use spiritual ideas and practices to sidestep or avoid facing unresolved emotional issues, psychological wounds, and unfinished developmental tasks. We use it to bypass. I have a friend who talked about she's been listening to podcasts by this Zen priest. He's been a Zen priest for like 40 years. And he said for the first 20 years, he used spiritual bypassing. He never connected with actual feelings. He used the teachings he learned to, to not feel. So if you have some loss in your family or, or some loss that you experience, we all experience loss, whatever it is. We all lose loved ones. It's just the way of the world. To go to experience the pain of that loss and go, well, everything passes, everything's inert and permanent, and Nietzsche, to stuff that down. You know, I, I, I'm sure you all know people who tell you about some 
experience they have in their life, and then they go, but it's all good. It's all good. That's a deflection. You know, I had a very, very, um, I had a very chaotic childhood, and when I was older, I was very dismissive of it. It's, it's not a spiritual bypass, but it's a way of bypassing. It's like, yeah, no big deal. I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, nodding head. <laughs> no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. These are avoidance mechanisms. These are avoidance mechanisms because it's um, that pain is really sometimes a very scary place to go. The depression, the despair, the grief that we feel, especially when it's like when we seem to be can be triggered often by what we're seeing right now, the the anger that wells up, all the emotions that well up. Um, what we need to do though is to well, I talked about faith last week. I think I talked about faith last week. And, and one of the things that I, I believe we need to do is move into that faith and say, you know what? Instead of using these spiritual principles as a bypass, as a, as a club to smash down my emotions and feelings, because that never works. It's, you know, whack-a-mole. It's going to come up over here. We hit it with that, and it's coming up over here. It's always going to show up. Maybe in, you know, someplace far removed so we can't draw a straight line from A to B and sometimes in really inappropriate ways. Like we keep getting into the same relationship over and over and over again because we're not willing to face something, some shadow that we have or whatever. Um, to have faith that, you know what? If I move and look into these teachings, if I believe that um, love, that all beings, including myself, are worthy of kindness and softness and compassion, that maybe I can move into a place of being kind and compassionate and soft towards myself. Sometimes self-compassion is the most difficult one. Self-kindness is the most difficult one. Um, you know, we have to begin to recognize that things are um, disappointing. But we were talking before, the eight worldly winds or, or the, the song, I, sometimes I'm cool, sometimes I'm lame. Sometimes I win, sometimes I lose, sometimes there's pain, sometimes there's loss, so, uh, pleasure. So to recognize that um, and to recognize the suffering when it's there, it's okay to have that pain. It's okay to have that loss. Um, and and Larry, when I was listening to Larry's um, Larry's talk, he was talking about you know in in Buddhist mythology, the Buddha lived multiple lifetimes before they took birth as the Buddha, as Siddhartha Gautama. And and, and Larry calls the Buddha they. He says that, Larry says that he thinks the Buddha is non-binary in some ways. And so I'm going to play with that for a while. It's an interesting concept. So um, he says the Buddha lived many, 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 many lifetimes before taking birth. And so during those lifetimes, they must have realized that at some point they were not going to become enlightened. It's like, okay, not in this lifetime. Not in this lifetime. I 
although I've been practicing for a while, and although I, I, my intention is to be diligent and my aspiration is to continue moving along this path and learning, you know, getting deeper and understanding the more subtle um, nooks and crannies of my experience, I don't know if I'm going to get enlightened. I just, I don't know. Um, I'm not worried about it. I'm not worried about it. So recognizing that that's okay and recognizing that there is this discomfort that exists and recognize that I am going to feel these feelings. I am going to struggle. There is going to be disappointment. There is going to be these things that make us... Um, um, lose our minds, so to speak, but to recognize them and really turn and face our suffering, to recognize that first noble truth and the second noble truth, and to experience the suffering. We spend so much time running away from the suffering. We spend so much time running away from the pain. Um, and know that there's a range. You know, there's not you suffer, you don't suffer. You know, we, 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 we really like these... Um, these, these, it's on or off. These, it's the binary. It's either this or it's that. It's A or it's B. It's C or it's D. It's X or it's Y. It's one or it's two. It's zero or ones and zeros. It's a whole well, a lot of it's ones and zeros. It's all ones and zeros. But that there's a range, and we move back and forth on that range. And so he 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 listed these um, he listed these feelings that I that I'm going to read this list. Um, that there's this range between awake and asleep, between deluded and enlightened, between being trapped and being free. And so if you think about these, these sensations, um, hopeless, <coughs> despair, grief, pain, depression, Regret, dis distress, disconnection, gloomy, conflicted, irritated, questioning, <coughs> dullness, indifference, stillness, coolness, calm, Refreshed, ease, relaxation, contentment, comfort, gladness, cheer, mirth, wonder, delight, excitement, rapture, joy. So there's this continuum from being lost in delusion, lost in our, our, our greed, our hatred, our ignorance, being shut down, being constricted, being just totally enmeshed and entangled in our conditioning. And as we slowly move through this practice, we start waking up 
slowly, slowly, slowly. I don't think it happens all at once. I think that that happened in the time of the Buddha. He gave a Dharma talk and 500 people were enlightened. I, that doesn't happen anymore. So there's this, this, this progression. And that's been my experience from this, 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 um, this, this flavor of despair that I remember I had when I really came to formal practice. I had been nibbling away at the edges for a while. But when I came to formal practice, I was like, I was at the edge. I needed to really do something and to stop and turn and face it was what needed to happen. And to, and to be able, instead of being dismissive about my experiences growing up, to say, yeah, this is scary. This is, this is something I'm not interested, but there's no way else. I tried everything else. It didn't work. It's time to turn face to face with it and do it with kindness, with compassion. And I said before, the um, sati, the word that's translated as mindfulness, also means being with. So we're with our emotions. We're with our experiences. We walk alongside them. We sit arm in arm, hand in hand, softly, kindly, compassionately. Um, we hold our painful experiences with tenderness and kindness. Otherwise, we're just beating them up. Otherwise, we're coming from a place of aversion. And in fact, Angel Kyoto Williams, Reverend Angel, says, you must be in conversation with an intention toward love. Connection is love from the vulnerable heart. We have to come to this with an intention toward love. Towards all beings, but I think towards ourselves as well. As we, as we are kind towards ourselves, it becomes easier to be loving towards others or to a different level, I have found. So when we are connected to these emotions, when we're in that spectrum and we're aware, when we say, I see this depression, I see this anger, I see this crankiness, I see this joy, we're connected to ourselves. We're connected to the whole. We're connected to the human condition because we recognize us as we experience these, all beings experience these. Um, I, had, I was talking to a friend of mine the other night. I, taught, I teach twice a week, and so I do the same talk each Thursday and, and Saturday. And after, Thursday night, I talked to him after my class, and he's been going through a really difficult time for the last year or so. And he finally about the end of last year really um, had almost a break where he had to really turn towards his demons, so to speak, and connect with them. And he's, he's come a long way. He's really doing well. And he's been practicing. He's been meditating a lot. And he was saying, he said, you know, it used to be like there was this other being that followed him around, this dark shadow that was there. It was almost like a... Uh, you could feel its presence in the room. Um, it's, uh, it, you know, sometimes I think of like, if you remember the old Penis cartoon, Pigpenny had that, 
that cloud that followed him around. But he's, he, my friend said he felt like there was this, this, this other essence. And he said his wife got a sense of it too. And he said it's all gone now. When he finally was able to turn towards those difficulties, that's what that, that shadow was. It was those difficulties that he was doing everything in his power to run away from. I thought I had a difficult upbringing. This guy went through some shit. So we all have trauma. We all have shit that we've gone through. And we relate to it in different ways. But when it causes us suffering, when we're running from it or beating up on it or acting out because of it, it doesn't, it doesn't bode well for our ease and our contentment. It doesn't bode well for our relationships with others. So, you know, like when the, the Buddha was, was uh, running from Angulimala, the serial killer who was running after Angulimala, and the Buddha was standing still, but Angulimala was running after him, and he couldn't catch up with him. And Angulimala yelled, stop running. And Buddha said, I already have. But you're running. And it's like, I'm standing still. I don't have to run. So we don't have to run. And the key ingredient, because we're running, we're in a place of aversion. But when we let go of the aversion and turn towards it with ease and kindness and softness, even just tenderless, even just putting down the arm, putting down the, the baseball bat or whatever it is we're beating, you know, we take a step on that spectrum. We take a step. We, we maybe bring some faith into it and say, oh, maybe this will work. Maybe I can move from despair to grief. Maybe I can move from regret to gloomy. You know, it's, it's, it's not bing, but recognizing that we move along the spectrum. It's really important. Um, and with love, and with kindness, and with compassion. Um, you know, we do the best we can and hold a higher aspiration. So Larry talked about this mantra he has for himself, which is, which is um, I think, really talks, describes this, this, this idea perfectly of being patient with ourselves, being gentle with ourselves, yet still moving with an intention towards loving kindness and compassion and holding our experience with love and holding the world with love. May I be loving, open, and aware in this moment, he says. If I cannot be loving, open, and aware, may I at least be kind. And if I cannot be kind, may I at least be non-judgmental. And if I cannot be non-judgmental, may I at least not cause harm. And if I cannot cause harm, may I at least, may I cause the least harm possible. That's a beautiful way of letting go of these expectations we have for ourselves of perfection. It's a way of holding our conditioning with kindness. It's a way of holding our conditioning and how we are, are damaged by our conditioning. 
and wounded by our conditioning, how we hold that with kindness. Because we don't want to be trapped in this place of greed and hatred and delusion. We want to move out of it. But it's a journey of healing from where we started. Because you can only start where you are. And some days are better than others. I was laughing because when I when I talked about this the other night on Thursday night, I was on my way to class and I was at a red light and the light turned green and immediately, you know, within a nanosecond, the guy behind me flashing his brights and honking his horn. And that just kind of like, I just immediately went, fuck you. And I'm like, well, there's that kindness and compassion showing up right away. There are, we all are triggered by things. So to recognize our triggers is part of this, going, this is a really difficult place for me. You know, I've done a lot of work in moving towards an undefended heart, moving towards that openness and that vulnerability, which is what we're aiming towards. Because I believe vulnerability is a place of great power. Because when you're vulnerable, you don't have to hide. You're like, bring it. Um, so even as I've moved in this practice towards this place of, of vulnerability and openness, I'm, I have moved light years in some areas and budged barely a little in others. So to hold that with equanimity and go, yeah, still got some work to do, which is why I don't think I'm going to be enlightened. And we'll pro- if, if, there is, if there is karma and rebirth, then I'm probably going to do another round. Hopefully come back as my own house cat because they have it good. But you know what I mean? It's like it's, I'm, I may not get there, but the aspiration is to move and keep moving in that direction. You know, we keep moving towards um, freedom and love and kindness. And we turn, um, what is it? We turn toward despair and love it and let it lead us to freedom. We turn towards our experience with love. It's all about love. Wise love. Wise compassion, not idiot compassion. Really wise. Mm-hmm. And then we recognize that we're doing it for all beings, not just for ourselves. We don't just practice for ourselves. It's not just about us. You know, and that's that's the beauty of the, the Metta Sutta. It's like all beings, not just us. Mm-hmm. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness. Mm-hmm. They wish in gladness and safety, may all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, weak or strong, omitting none. Omitting none. Mm -hmm. The great, the mighty, medium, short, small, seen, unseen, those near and far away, born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Freed from hatred and ill will, whether standing or walking or seated or lying down. One should sustain this recollection that we spread um, goodwill to all beings. 
One should cherish all living beings, radiating kindness over the entire world. But not getting caught up in becoming the person who radiates kindness all over the world. You know, I read that piece a couple of weeks ago by Ajahn Sumedho when I was talking about, I think I did it here, letting go. He talked about letting go. We have these, ex- we want to study and practice and sit and become the being who radiates kindness throughout the world. It's like, let do it without becoming that, holding that expectation. Just be present. Just be kind in the moment. I, I, there was a, there's a woman named Rodessa Jones who I saw, um, speak a few years ago, so I friended her on Facebook, and she posted something yesterday that I want to copy down, and she said, in this time, I think she was posting it, shared it from someone else, in this time of turmoil and anger, and you know, I, I, I mean, even people can be so cruel, I mean, I don't know if you know, there was um, the Houston Astros, who won the World Series a couple of years ago, were cheating, and so it's all come out, and there's a big brouhaha right now. They beat the Dodgers in the World Series, so people in L.A. are especially upset about this cheating. And so even in the big scheme of things, baseball in the, in, in the big scheme of things is, like, not a big deal. It's like in the world order, baseball is, like, meh. But these people, the Houston Astros, are getting death threats on social media. The guy who told about the cheating is getting death threats. I mean, it's insane. Um, So we have to, she says, in this crazy topsy-turvy world, when stuff like that goes on, I want to be the person who is nice to the cashier. I want to be the person who is kind to my fellows, who smiles at somebody else. It's like, what are you doing right now to be a loving, kind person to yourself? You know, it's like, watch how the person you're with treats the waiter in the restaurant. That says volumes. That says volumes. So those are my thoughts about love and having love be that underpinning for all you do. And I'd love to hear your thoughts, your comments, your questions.